Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week we're chatting about the pixelated horrors of developer Ponstas' World of Horror, which recently left early access. A self-described one-bit cosmic horror game made by one dude in MS Paint, World of Horror is a dark RPG with roguelite elements set in 1980s Japan, in which the player investigates bizarre mysteries with even more bizarre and disturbing monsters, in the hopes of defeating the ancient deities attempting to bring about the apocalypse. So, I've been aware of this game for a while, and it was the thing where I'd been following the updates and whatnot on either Steam or Twitter or whatnot, and, you know, it was the type of thing where the art style jumped out at me, but all I ever was reading about was how fucking hardcore and difficult this game was <laughs> to the degree that I was genuinely kind of intimidated to ever dive into it during early access. And now that it's come out, you know, version 1.0 and there are these new features and additions that have been included in it. Um, it's the type of thing I wish I had dived into earlier because I'd be able to probably appreciate those new additions even more so. Um, but I'm curious for you, you know, what was your sort of initial experience with World of Horror and, you know, maybe leading with an aspect of its design that stood out to you initially? Well, yeah, I remember covering this but just for three and a half years ago, I think. Um, yeah. Pretty disgusting. It sounds like Yeah, it. and um, I'd seen it, like, come up in, like, news and stuff. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, but really disgusting, had covered it. Oh, okay, that looks cool. That's interesting. And then, um, yeah, I... I went and played it to review it and yeah straight away was taken with how you know i was into this sort of junji ito phase anyway in terms of like reading lots of junji and it came at that perfect time here's a game that looks like that and uh has this old school one bit thing going on which you know is very striking you know we've talked at length about how many indie games uh will try and find a certain style to really make it stand out and be like their own thing rather than copy 
you know, every other thing. Uh, and that can vary from anything from like what Five Nights at Freddy's does to Faith to, to this and all sorts of things. It, it's so distinct in what it does. And the old school text adventure is something that works so well in, in the indie spaces. And, you know, back then I was still sort of learning the ropes on that. And it really sort of dragged me in. And this, at that point, was you know, a very bare bones version of what compared to what we have now. And yet there was still so much there. And yeah, it was tough and really ambiguous. And you had to write things down to remember what you were going to do and like that. But I loved that about it. It just felt refreshing. You know, it was... I don't want to be doing the oh we're back in my day it didn't you know you didn't have to have your hand held sort of thing it, it's because <laughs> I hate that in most cases <laughs> like, I don't mind you to point and say here you've got to go here or do that but there's something about this and the roguelike nature of it that just made it like work you know I think that XCOM thing comes into it again of just like a game that's punishing but kind of rewards you with failure, with your failure, because of what demise you might meet or how you might meet your end from different ways, and I like that about it and this branching narrative. And even then, you know, as simple as it was and how predictable certain aspects got after a while, there was still so much variety. You know, and it's then you could sort of customize your game a bit more and stuff like that. It just it was straight away just like blew me away. You know, I think even though it was in early access, I think I put that on like my games of the year that's probably disgusting and get slapped a score on it there and then you know i think four and a half about five because yeah i was just no i was like who cares if it's early access you know what i am playing i like and i really enjoy it and it was just i think one of those tipping point things in terms of what we went on to do with safe room later that later on was games like this where you just really capture something that you never knew you wanted until you saw it like this because games weren't really doing stuff like this anymore and it was just so exciting to play something that was so retro to the point of being obnoxious and you know it is like <laughs> really dragging it back but it's a great way of handling it and i think having that ito style you know which it's not just ito style but you know that is the thing that it is marketed as being like so that that's where you can take it from especially in the way the stories go, it was it's always going to attract attention and did quite well. I mean, as with all the early access games, I remember the comments quite early on being full of the sort of people that go, oh, it's taking too long to update, it's taking too long to do this or that. Not knowing, you know, it's, it's one guy at that point, I think, just doing it. And yeah, that's difficult. And I think, yeah, he had great difficulty for like a year in really trying to get, progress going on it and you know that's the cruel thing about early access i think if you don't have the momentum and the speed to get through things in a certain order you're going to get forgotten by maybe that little lightning in a bottle audience you wanted and um, you, know, you can't win but you, know, you will get people who are just genuinely interested and want to see where it goes from there so it's been wild to sort of see it go on this ride and being there early on and just uh watching it grow and become this amazing thing it, it's just yeah it, it's i i've not been able to play it like this week on the console version but you know going back to the pc version which has been updated obviously with this yeah it, what made it magic is still there but 
it is so much more now. I mean, it's like phenomenal. I think the only thing that may be a downside now is that I've played so many indie horror games in those three years that obviously its impact is a little lessened by some of the things other games have done. But yeah, I'm trying. I'm not trying to get all my thoughts out on this straight away. But yeah, so, <laughs> it's a yeah, it, it's a game I'm so um, enamoured with and one I've really wanted to sort of talk about for a long time. So I'm so glad we're getting to talk about it now. Yeah, and you know, I'll say for me coming to this game for the first time over the last you know week and a half or so, it's the type of thing where I can clearly notice the new change, the changes that have been made or that have been added. I should say, not that things have been altered, but that they've had additions. And you know, after messing around with a couple of different runs and some difficulty options and whatnot, and some accessibility features. It's the perfect example, I think, of a game that still retains all those hardcore elements that you talked about. And you can still play this game in a manner that rivals what it was like in early access from that sort of vagueness standpoint that you were talking about. And, you know, while that's not how I would dive into the game for the first time, I'm playing through my first run with tutorials, teaching me the basics and whatnot, which is very thorough. It kind of makes navigating that daunting uh, options menu that you have in combat and just in general the world hub in a way that makes it feel a little more streamlined but you can kind of pair all that back as well which is one of those things that I'm always impressed with with a game that it is knowledgeable of the fact that not everybody has hardcore sensibilities not everybody has that sort of nostalgia for that era that it's harkening back to in some of its design elements but it still is not going to alter the sort of vision for World of Horror, right? Because you can still strip away all of these new inclusive features and accessibility options for people, and it still can play like that hardcore mystery game that really did kind of jump out from the fray of indie horror games, horror competitors that it had at the time when it was initially released in early access. And, you know, I think for me, it's very refreshing that you get a game such as this that is evoking a specific art style. It's wearing that, you know, homage sort of aspect to Jinji Ito's work on its sleeve, and it's very upfront about it, but it is continually sort of evolving on that identity in a way that feels unique, that feels like it's going past just a surface level examination of an influence in a manner that, you know, is more than just its art style. It's more than just, you know, we're going to have these creepy drawings that have been made in MS Paint, which it's probably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen, to be honest, mm. when you, again, are, you know, uh, realizing that this is all done by one person in something like MS Paint, and it's able to perfectly replicate someone's style, both in tone and in the actual visuals themselves. Um, and I think also this game does a great job of utilizing the time period and evoking an atmosphere that is reminiscent of that. I mean, just from the very beginning, right? It's like you're staring into the monitor of an Apple II computer or something along those lines. Um, And to go from that perspective, but then to be in a world that your gear and inventory are reflective of that time period, and yet it doesn't feel like you're really limited in your either options or how you want to play a specific character. Um, I think sometimes, you know, when people talk about survival horror games, it's like, okay, yeah, you need to have certain items to succeed. And in this, you know, it kind of has this bootstraps mentality, I think, when you think about your character creation, because every time you're rolling a new character, it's like 
yeah, you're basically playing like a teenager and it's yeah. like, what are they really going to be able to do? And so <laughs> you have that bootstraps mentality of like, you're going to be using, you're going to be punching, kicking branches, bottles, occasionally you might find a gun, but the fact that they're able to have these limitations, but overall it doesn't feel like, oh, like I'm completely doomed. It's nice to see a game that's able to kind of utilize that time period and whatnot and have some limitations, but still have enough sort of viable routes of combat or how you want to play a certain character um, along those sort of lines, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about doing this very simplistic approach is it does have you know the very definition of role playing you know in at the oldest terms you know it is one step away from pen and paper at that point um and while the images do a great job of sort of like telling you what's going on and what to be worried about the writing is descriptive enough to drag you into the world and the atmosphere like that there's you know some overarching stuff that sticks together in it as well which makes it um sort of all make sense no matter what order it goes in and like that about it i mean one of the best qualities even from early on was that it feels like an ito anthology you know if you read through like one of his stories like uh like tomi or whatever and you will see like different stories about the same subject and there's an overarching narrative that isn't really like in your face it's just there like that and world of horror manages that i think it's more refined now as well than it was where there were some clear you know make this square shape fit into this round hole sort of thing but it worked it worked well enough um but i like that the characters are consistently teenage because i think again a lot of the ito protagonists tend to be as well um i think it's something about the age range and about experiences and in the world and just enough naivety and cynicism to be the right person to be leading up a horror story where you know you can swerve it one way or the other and so that's great i think for this and yeah just it ends up being quite versatile for something that's quite limited really because like i said it does do the bare bones thing and gives you the enough information to sort of implant your idea of what this character is and that's fun you know i think that's something that makes you use your imagination a bit even when it does have such a distinct visual style is something that not many games do now so yeah that in itself is just a fantastic element of world of horror yeah and the fact that you're playing as teenagers really does lean into i think the tone of world of horror which Mm. is that there is this impending doom right the fact that each playthrough you have this old god which basically is a super monster if you will Mm. uh, in a game filled with monsters that basically will be having certain um i suppose certain sort of negative qualifiers on each run through and it progresses the further through mysteries you get because you know for example um one of my play early playthroughs the old god that I was encountering was like a gigantic spider, right? Which was fucking mm-hmm. terrifying. And it's slowly like crawling its way out of a cocoon. And so right off the bat, that old god's sort of, um, I suppose it's a perk, is that I'm not allowed to flee from combat at all for this entire run of a character, which, yeah. you know, is a massive, massive sort of negative to begin a run on. But 
as we've been saying, this game has so many versatile options for how you can play it and certain yeah. things that you need to be aware of that it doesn't necessarily sort of like end my current run before it even begins, right? It's like, oh no, I have to take this into account. So I need to make sure that I'm staying on top of my item management a little bit more so than normally I would because I can't just run from an encounter and then equip what I need and then try to find another encounter or go looking for a fight. At the same time, you know, the further you progress and every time something negative happens, this doom meter is continually building. And so when that, you know, t hits to the next threshold, you'll get a new sort of modify negative modifier. So in one of them, it was items will cost more or resting is less effective or, you know, you're, you deal double damage, but so do the monsters yeah. now. Um, and so those are the types of modifiers that continually keep the player on their toes. And it is one of those rare sort of roguelites or just RPGs in general that legitimately feels like you can't ever prepare for everything. So in all the time that I've spent with the game, I, you know, even though my skills are continually increasing, I'm becoming more familiar with the different variables of different facets of gameplay. I still have this sort of like dread in the back of my mind of something is going to come along. I cannot predict and potentially fuck up this entire run. And, you know, that I think is a rare feeling because for me, at least majority of RPGs or roguelites that I've played at certain points, like in my time with them, I've either built this super character that to a certain point, like everything is basically pretty manageable mm -hmm. or, you know, it's like, okay, I might have a curveball thrown my way, but it's not always sort of derailing this entire run with a character. And in World of Horror, I've gotten to a point where, you know, I've stripped back some of the accessibility stuff. I've made it more difficult. And it's the type, it is very rivaling of XCOM, you know, as you mentioned that it's kind of like in every death and defeat, something of value is learned. Um, it's not yeah. always, and it is never always the same thing typically that kind of blows a run up in your face, which is what I love about it. As you said, you know, there is a great deal of variety in basically every aspect of the mechanics of this game, because, you know, as I've played maybe 10 hours of the game, there's still absolutely aspects that I don't understand that I haven't encountered or that I'm still like struggling to comprehend, like some of the witchcraft mm. spell stuff that you can do. Like there's different layers to everything. And you can see in a game like this, that was very vague at the outset and still can be played that way to a degree. Like it kind of captures that, era that it's evoking where there were games that had a great deal of depth to them that you only learned about from genuine experimentation, no matter the cost. And I think that's mm. something pretty special to be able to replicate and present in, you know, the modern day um, and not have it be, I suppose, contrived in the sense that it's kind of like, oh, we're, we're letting you know that there's all these secrets and we're going to hide them from you. It's more like genuine, I think, in that discovery phase. Yeah. And yeah, as much as I talked about like oh XCOM as usual and like about the Ito stuff, there's other things that reminds me of uh, or that really come to mind. I mean, Spelunky Two is like one of those things for me. Not a completely different game, but there's a structure to it where it's like you think you know the run that will get you through the section, but you know you know that you have limited amount of whatever, and that one wrong turn can take you in the wrong direction and doom you basically. And yeah, I love. I'm a fucking stubborn sucker for that sort of thing. And it really works on me quite well. But, you know, as much as Ito, it's Lovecraft. And you know, I think it's something that's um, quite refreshing recently was 
when I interviewed um, Dennis Powley, who did Stuart Gordon, writing for Stuart Gordon's Reanimator uh, from Beyond, and of course the recent uh, Suitable Flesh for, with Joe Lynch, and I asked him about like you know, seeing as he's written about Lovecraft and adapted Lovecraft so often, he's like what's you know what's the pitfalls you don't want to fall into you know when writing because you see it so often Lovecraft in games is an aesthetic and you know very surface level sort of oh tentacle monsters and oh the things that might make you go mad sort of thing but the thing he said was you know it's like you know, just take what you, you know whatever you take from it is how you should adapt lovecraft basically and i think that is exactly what happens here you know that it's lovecraft funneled through that ito sort of vision because it, they marry and match up quite well but then putting it through this video game you know, in this particular way in this old school text adventure and that was it. It was straight away. It's like it's the, playing it now. It's like that sort of feeling clicked with me. It was like, yeah, I can see what he means now. You know, this is you can tell when someone understands that they don't have to copy paste what Lovecraft does and just you know do the you know as much as has the the keywords of like old gods, cosmic horror, and eldritch things and whatever. It's not the be all end all. There's dread and unnerving weirdness in, on different levels, which is what Lovecraft's work did quite well so yeah this is another element of it which has just sort of become even more impressive to me i think now just just looking at it with that different perspective so it not only succeeds at like sort of replicating what ito does in being a bit weird and unnerving it's that horrible sense of cosmic dread that lovecraft's work brings you know the descriptive nature of the horror as much as it is the visual yeah, that's the difference when you're adapting, as it said, you know, you are seeing it, you know, which is a bit different to just having to imagine it on the page. But here there's a bit of both, like I said, and it, the writing and the visuals pull equal weight, I think, in making that cosmic horror feel heavy, you know, in the way that it should. Yeah, you know, the storytelling in this, I think, is probably my favorite aspect. And it's the aspect that, surprised me the most in terms of the depth, right? In terms of the variety of the writing, because, you know, for a game that is channeling, obviously, Ito's art style, and it has, you know, if you look at any of the screenshots, you can see they're wonderfully fucked up mm. in just their creation and what kind of horrors the player will encounter. But, you know, we got to give a lot of credit as well to the co-writer of the game, which is Cassandra Chaw, yeah. who utilized and helped build, you know, that influence in a way that it it's the type of thing where it's like, that you're going to come across some of the mysteries more than once, right? Mm. Because there can only be so many mysteries and whatnot, but there's still enough of a variety that it doesn't feel like they follow the sort of formula, if you will. I think that there's enough variety in the types of mini stories that are being told and the pacing of them more importantly. You know, there's various levels of investigatory sort of phases of each of these mysteries. Um, and I think overall that was something that I was really just appreciative of because before you even see the sort of main boss baddie of each of those mysteries, it is still unnerving. It is still terrifying. And it doesn't have to be an investigation that is filled with these massive in your face moments. If anything, sometimes you're going to go through investigations and there's only one or two instances of combat in the entire investigation. And that's not to say that those are lesser mysteries or, you know, mysteries with more combat or better, but there is 
a refreshing blend, I think, of channeling what you mentioned, which is tapping into the dread in a way that, you know, that word gets thrown around constantly with <laughs> horror, but, you know, stories that are building upon emotion or stories that are building upon the sense that something is, there's an entity somewhere that's around you or growing nearer. And the ramifications of that are not immediately clear or immediately taking hold, but it's just like you have these little instances sometimes when you're investigating and let's say you fail a skill check, right? Which happens constantly yeah. in this game. You fail a skill check and all of a sudden you have this negative modifier or you're losing stamina or you're losing reason. And, you know, sometimes when you fail, there's no monster that pops up. There's no big in your face image, but you'll get a little line of text that says, you're unsure of what, what it is, but you feel as if something grows closer. Like I've gotten that line a couple of times and every time it is so unsettling because of the potential ramifications that could come in the future. Maybe nothing even ever shows up, but it's that sort of debasing of the normal sense of comfortability with a game, specifically with an RPG or a roguelite that, you know, after a while you start to kind of build. But with this game, I always feel like I'm on edge with every single decision I make because either it's going to be one decision that completely derails it, or it's a series of mini failures that then of course result in this catastrophic failure of uh, a current run. But for you, like what were a couple of mysteries that maybe stood out? Because I have a few that um, I was just kind of floored by in terms of their creativity and the variety of uh, the investigatory angles in them. Yeah. I think early on there was, you know, going to the school and having to do that ritual there yeah. was like one of the mm -hmm. first things that really, I when I'd made some proper progress, was like one of the first ones I really got into. And the thing that I come back to with this is, goes into what you were just saying, you know, this um, consequences, and you will, you cannot escape them. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of this. And I think, again, another reason why it works well as both Ito and Lovecraft is, you know, you're not going to be the same after this experience. That's the point. You know, it's like you aren't just going to get a clean run. It's not going to happen. There's something will have to happen to you. You will have to lose some part of your humanity, the character that is. You know, your own personal results may vary on that one, but still, it's effective. And going into that ritual and having to collect the right things and then knowing that that meant you could end up in other encounters or other problems and even solving that thing, even getting and scraping through that ritual, seeing how the town changes you know, when you do do well and you do finish an investigation, it's not like, a, oh, everything gets better, really. It's just like, it's just, it's, yeah. a di it's just a different kind of worse. And yeah. that, for me, was the thing that stuck with me the most. You know, I think there's some really strong small stories in there that can pop up in any sort of um, area you go. Like the woods thing, I think was another one that was really good where you just sort of get lost and turn around. I mean, I, I again, love that. Love the whole idea of the woods just being this mystic maze of, you know, where time doesn't seem to fit right. That back, goes back to the Blair Witch Project, really, doesn't it? But yeah, it, it's just another one of those. It's fantastic that it has such variety in terms of what it does. But yeah, for me, it's always going to be that first experience where I really got into the bones of it and really clicked with me as to what the game could do. 
Well, I think the Woods mystery is a perfect example, too, of how you are going to, you know, eventually hit a point where you're recycling certain mysteries, but each of the mysteries has like three or four different endings for each of them based on what you do during the course of the investigation. Oh, I'm choosing to investigate one of these rooms or one of these sections of an environment more so. Like frequently there's, I think definitely the woods section and a couple other ones where you were brought up with a grid basically and the player has the freedom to explore those grids until they basically land upon the one that progresses the mystery to the final chapter. And in those moments, like you can have these little interactions that we were talking about in terms of tapping into either a combat encounter or just something that is this sort of bleak little bit of writing or little narrative that's contained to a single interaction. And with the the Woods mystery in particular, you know, I've played that one twice now. Once I went in with just, you know, shitty gear, I think I had a stick and a broken bottle or something. The next time I played through it, I had a fire axe and that item completely changes the finale of how that mystery is solved. And that is the perfect example of how there is a greater emphasis on the roguelite element in that when you're rolling a new character, that can actually, and it's something that often like, I feel like games promote and say that they do, but so rarely does it actually have this drastic outcome on something. But in World of Horror, it genuinely feels like my choices and how I play certain characters and how I decide to, you know, equip this item or that item can have like drastic effects on the narrative, which is so incredibly rewarding. I think early on, specifically with the ritual that you mentioned, there are certain encounters that you have that if you have a specific perk, it will give you a more positive outcome on small resolutions of events. And, you know, early on when you don't know what the fuck you're doing, (laughs) you don't have any of those perks. So it's like, oh, it's taking a hit, taking a hit, taking a hit one after another. So by the time you get to that final encounter, you're kind of fucked basically. But in death, you are learning something and it basically taught me to be more... I suppose, adventurous with my characters and whatnot. And, you know, yeah, there's a good chance this will have a negative outcome. There's also a chance that this is going to reward me in some way, whether it's a perk or a curse or an item that can drastically affect not only my abilities in combat, but in my opinion, more importantly, like narratively speaking. Um, And overall, you know, the game has this fantastic checks and balances approach to everything, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to combat. But In terms of like mysteries, I love the variety of them and it feels as if it's drawing from different inspirations in Japanese horror, right? So clearly we've mentioned now Ad Nauseam, the Ito is really the inspiration of a lot of those monsters and whatnot. But I would even say, you know, there's sort of like Anori the Curse, a little bit of an influence in investigating like a haunted mansion where Mm. the owners of the last three generations have like all killed themselves and so you have to uncover like What's causing this to occur? Or there's a ramen shop that randomly will appear and a lot of people are getting sick or dying Mm. in an area and then just randomly disappears. Like little stories like that. I mean, I was eating those up the entire (laughs) time and it made me want to immediately select them again when I had a second playthrough with a different character. So that way I could branch out and try to find out more tidbits of the stories and whatnot. Because at the end, no matter what um, ending you get, based on your level of either exploration or of killing a certain amount of monsters, you get a variety of rewards and that can be stat boosting or that can just be sort of knowledge based in terms of the mystery itself, which again, you know, from a narrative standpoint, and I think you had the perfect way to describe it, the sort of anthology nature of this game, 
it all feels connected in a way that I find to be very rare with a lot of anthologies. And it, I suppose, you know, the apartment and the mysteries aspect of solving them is like the hub that connects everything. But it genuinely feels like all of these stories are occurring in the same universe and play by the same rules, even if there is this great variety of, uh, you know, horrific, <laughs> horrific shit that you're encountering at any given moment. Yeah. And um, I did, yeah, I think it quite handled the unexplainable quite well. I think it's the best thing. It's like, it means that it has free reign to go and do all sorts of mad shit in different directions and get away with it you know, without having to tie it together with reasons, you know, which is... And, you know, what you were saying earlier about the freedom of what it does, I think key to it is just simpler games tend to have that more because I think... Bigger games can boast about like freedom of choice, etc. Et but unless you are like, you know, cooking that into your game on a level that is you know, mechanical, it's very difficult to get. Around. I mean, Arcane remain like one of the best examples of the modern times of like making games that feel like freeform things that they have a story, they have a structure, but you can take it on in a way that is different without telling you that that's the case you know like you can play it straightforward but there are ways around it there are different avenues to take and this is you know the purest sort of form of that you know that you go bubbling it back to what it was this sort of primordial soup of you know, horror and adventure you know, as it was and it works so well you know and i think yeah simplicity is key on some level if you're going to make it work i mean if you're not going to build your game a bigger game with that in mind you're gonna have a bad time and i think again um amnesia the bunker is a recent good example of like taking what you know just refining it and messing with it in one particular way to completely shift what kind of game it is and really make it feel more freeform you know and it worked you know so this is i think this was one of those games in that wave that really kind of started that idea that this idea of freeform indie horror games you know, and we were talking about on Horror Bites this week as well, just games that really get that are special and yeah, so I, I was um, very impressed with that aspect of it Yeah, and I think that you know, as we've been talking about it the simplicity of that aspect, I think is sort of like a ruse almost because it is a game that at the same time has an incredible amount of depth to it. And, you know, I'll, I'll be upfront in saying that I have not accessed some of the maybe deeper, darker secrets of this game in the world. And I certainly have not experienced everything that has to offer, even if I've gotten to a place where I'm comfortable enough with the format of the game, with the overall sort of mechanics of it. And yet it's incredibly exciting and rewarding, I think, to every time I go back and play I need to go in with the mindset that, okay, I'm going to purposely try things that are different every single time because who knows what I might unearth. You know, it might not always result in something that is sort of like game changing in the sense that, oh, this opens up my eyes in a new way. But it is the type of game I think that can be so hardcore that it does have the capacity to have those secrets and those moments. And if anything, you know, as we've been saying, sort of death is the great teacher in this type of game. And um, I think that even if it kind of, in big air quotes, ruins a current run with a character, 
the knowledge that you gain can completely be eye-opening to mechanics that you thought you had mastered, but now you see new utilizations of them or new ways to implement certain strategies or ways to, you know, if you want to maybe try to do the quickest run possible to get to the end or something like that. And you start developing these little strategies, but as we'll get into after the break, you know, there's always the capacity for new terrors to pop up out of seemingly nowhere. Mm. Um, but really they were kind of just like lying right beneath the surface of your <laughs> understanding, uh, ready to pounce. But we're going to chat a little bit more about the combat and some of the mechanics after this quick break. And we are back from our break and let's chat a little bit about combat. Cause mm. that is a big focus of this game that we haven't touched upon yet. And I'm curious for you, you know, is there an aspect of combat that stands out perhaps from other RPGs or other roguelites that you've played that kind of is indicative, I suppose, of World of Horror's very unique brand of dark horror? Well, I will caveat it with saying that initially this was probably the weakest aspect of the game when it came out. Um, It felt very undercooked and repetitive. Clearly work has gone into it since then to make it a bit more refreshed. But the underlying quality either way is you are using your brain more than your fists. You know, Yes, you have to use your fists, especially early on when you don't know where weapons are and things like that. And it's just like, yeah, I'm going to punch and kick this thing that has no reason to exist. It's, uh, that sounds like a reasonable thing for this poor high schooler to do. But yeah, it, it's... Um, it's when you get the right things and figure out the right strategies and can work on the fly, you know, because you can embrace this idea of like, you may not die in this run, but you are going to be truly fucked up by the end of it, whatever. So accept that, accept that there is no success beyond you get to the end of this run and whatever happens, happens and you survive and solve these mysteries. That, that That's all you can do. And with that in mind, you feel a bit more free in terms of how you approach combat because you don't, while there is like risk in terms of like, especially if you're like on a good run, you don't want to let it end. You you know, a bad combat situation with the wrong kind of enemy is hell. But being what it is and being turn-based and being very methodical, you can sit there and think and figure it out, which is the point, is what you are supposed to do. It's very hard to get out of the mindset of rushing, you know, like that. It's always been my problem, especially in turn-based. Um, XCOM, it hasn't helped me in all these years um, of playing it. I still tend to rush certain combat situations just because I want to get through them. And that makes me make bad choices. Um, probably telling them then what would happen to me in, in such a situation. But it's still add something you know because you are bringing your own personal thought process to combat as a result and rare in most games you have like an instinct or a reaction or a reflex to how you approach combat because it is in real time in most cases and even in turn-based you know there is aspects of it where you kind of have to think on your feet and be quick in what you're doing here it's you have a lot more time to think and your tools are much more limited even if you do sort of figure out what you can and cannot use so that aspect of it makes it interesting 
I still think it's probably not the best part of the game, but I think it's just because of where it draws its combat from in terms of being this sort of old school thing. Um, but at least now it doesn't feel as archaic as it once did. And now it really does just sort of push you deeper into that. You know, these are the tools you've got. Figure out how you can use them to get to get the best out of this situation. And you'd be surprised how often you can get out of a situation with tools that... You know, it's like... Um, when you're single and your fridge has got bugger all in it, you know, it's like, and you've you got to make something to eat. You find a way, you figure something out. You, <laughs> you rustle up that half a stick of lard and whatever peanuts were left in a packet and voila, dinner is served sort of thing. And, and yeah, and it, and much like that, you know, the implications of that will come back to haunt you at some point. But either way, you are getting it done and, you know, getting the job done in a best way you can with the tools you have available which is a really interesting way of approaching it and very survival horror really when you think about it um again we were just talking about this uh on this week's horror bites as well and just the idea of just picking up what you can and making the most of it in a any given situation is such a cool tool to have in horror that i don't think survival horror utilizes enough Beyond like, oh, you've run out of this stuff. Now you've got to run around and avoid things. You know, that, that's it's all well and good. I think this is like part of the next step of that, you know, where you can just use the RPG elements of like thinking on your feet, dice rolls effectively of like what can and cannot work. Um, something that I think will help a game like this is the popularity of Baldur's Gate 3 which has now popularized the idea of dice rolling your decisions and taking whatever comes from it you know like that um, and now this game feels much more natural as a result I think so yeah I'm intrigued by that I, I really think combat has improved quite a lot for what, without changing it entirely and, you know, which would have been really the only way you could properly make it you know modern i suppose but i don't i think it works as it is i think it will not you know to coin the old and tired phrase be for everyone that's for sure because i think you just can't you just can't um compromise on what it is doing at, in the rest of the game by changing that combat i think it just it would feel odd at this point i'm really satisfied with the sort of the contrast of what some people might view as like an archaic old school RPG mm. turn-based setup for combat, but the breadth of options is unlike anything that you would ever actually find in a game from that yes. era where it's like, if you went into an encounter and you didn't have your item management down and you didn't have the proper gear equipped and everything, it was like lights out before that fight even <laughs> began. And with this, as you said, there's a great deal of versatility, I think, in what the player is able to do. And at the same time, you can sort of back yourself into a corner and be on the cusp of death. And yet you can, you'll surprise yourself time and time again with the sort of last ditch effort plans you can throw together and actually survive sometimes those encounters. Granted, that's not to say that the next time you go and investigate this little room, you're not going to find something that drives you insane, but <laughs> it's the type of thing that I find that fits tonally with the overall vibe of world of horror, which is that, you know, you are sometimes, and take it back to what I said earlier, this sort of um, 
bootstrap survival aspect of it where, you know, early on you have no weapons when you go into combat and there's literally an option to like search your surroundings, which in my experience has never resulted in anything other than like a branch yeah. or a broken bottle. But at the same time, those were the moments where otherwise I would basically have died during an encounter because, you know, if you hit or kick, it's like two damage mm. and it has like a hit rate of 60% or something. <laughs> and, you know, that aspect of it, I think early on taught me that like, okay, not only do you need to master the sort of depths of these mechanics, but you can't really have one sort of foolproof approach to combat, I suppose, no. um, which then, you know, encourages experimentation, which this game, again, as we've mentioned repeatedly, the amount of variety in every aspect of it, that experimentation is never not rewarding, I find. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I would get to a point in a run where I was just coming up against a creature that was just too strong. I either, you know, hadn't gotten the proper curses or whatnot, or I didn't have the proper weaponry, but I had an ally one time when I encountered them a second time. So then that placed a greater emphasis on getting an ally early on, uh, which, you know, was a result of one of those mini events that you randomly discover where it's like, oh, I found a dog in a bear trap in a, yeah, in a bear trap, like reminiscent to like Resident Evil 4 <laughs> or something. Do you leave the dog because you're scared of it or do you free it? And when I freed it, it became my ally then for the rest of that run and ended up saving my ass when I had to encounter that monster again. And so, you know, there are variables such as that, that I think are far more valuable and meaningful than just having a tutorial for everything. Yeah. Granted, again, as I've mentioned, there's a more thorough tutorial with this game now, but you can turn that off, which I've done now after my first initial playthrough. Mm -hmm. And so taking those risks and, you know, who's to say when I went to go try to free that dog, it wasn't going to bite my hand and I lose two exactly. stamina or all of a sudden my perception takes a hit permanently. You know, that could have been possible, very viable outcomes of that. But I was rewarded because I took that risk. And I think that combat reinforcing that in sometimes traditional ways, which, you know, hey, you're going to be fighting this certain monster. You better brush up on your spells and on your curses and these things. Sometimes you just need a friend in those fights. And then all of a sudden you have me visiting the schoolyard much earlier in a round or in a run. So that way I can recruit an ally. And I just find that to be indicative of a tutorial, but in a very organic way, yes. in a way that doesn't feel like it's just reading through a manual or reading through a couple of pages of text. It's quite literally, you know, you have to take that leap of faith. And as we've mentioned, you know, that's more of a hardcore mindset, I suppose, with a game such as this. But I think that this game now, especially with all of the new additions and whatnot, you can find enough of a groove with certain, I suppose, um, you know, difficulty sliders or whatnot in these different things yes. that you can really tailor this game. So that way it is part of that hardcore experience that's still reminiscent of early access while still being something that might be more your speed, if you will. Um, and I just, I love the fact that when you get into a groove with combat, you know, you really do have to master each character's own unique traits and whatnot, because mm. they all begin with, I think I take it back to like the checks and balances of this game being the strongest example I've seen in a while where it's like, okay, in one run, I found a handgun at the police station. All of a sudden, you know, I think I'm hot shit. <laughs> I think I'm going to, you know, we're going to have the okay corral. And then the first time I use it, it deals a devastating amount of damage to a monster. But then my ears are blown out for the rest of that mystery, which completely caught me by surprise. But also I had this stupid grin on my face that it was like, okay, you can't view anything as 
the sort of, I suppose, like cheat mode, if you yeah. will, like a handgun typically is viewed as or a gun in general in a survival horror. And so for this game to like give you this empowerment, but at the same time remind you, like, if you want to get carried away and you want think you're hot shit, you're very quickly going to have that run come to an end. And that was one of those early examples of just this game really kind of making you take a step back and think about how you approach not only combat, but really every facet. I, I hesitate to say like it's a thinking man's RPG because I don't <laughs> want to give myself that much credit, but I like the idea of having sort of, I suppose in some instances, my own stupidity or not having enough forethought into things bite me in the ass, hmm. but it not being the sort of end all be all of a certain run. I can still have that gun and it deals devastating damage, but there it comes at a great cost other than just, you know, a dwindling ammo count. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, one of the fun things about it that just when you do get certain tools, you think, oh, okay, now I'm in a better position. And yeah, it changes combat in that very specific way, but it's not, nothing is a fix for everything. You know, it's the game almost most of the time reads you. And yeah, oh, so, oh you've got the gun. It's like, so let's throw things at you that will not be very helpful <laughs> in having the gun. Yeah. So, and yeah, there's, there's plenty of moments like that. I'm just, find it hilarious and again it's that sort of um gallows humor is there i mean the other game that i was thinking of actually with this is um death road to canada which is obviously it has a lot of sort of choice based decisions as you go along and have to survive a route and again it's very much based on it's all about failure really you know but most of the time but you know bad things will happen if you make those decisions. when you were talking about the dog that instantly reminded me because that's a game where you can literally just get dogs to be part of your party and like join you on your little road trip but you know do things wrong or just have the wrong character skills and suddenly you know, it could turn into a bad situation where they bite you and or you use they nick your food or something like that so you know this is like um that game if it was you know, had no sense of humor, I suppose, which is not 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 a knock on World of Horror, it's just it really does just yeah. go down that dreary route and doesn't really want to make light of it, which is probably where it's more Lovecraft than Ito, I think, where it doesn't. Yeah, you know, Ito's got a playfulness sometimes. I don't think it's always here, which is good, I think, because then it, it distances it from being like a straight up oh, just like Ito in every single way. But um, and I like that about it. I think it fits into this overall theme of it just being dread the whole way through. You know, pure, and I think it's a word that is earned in terms of description here. You know, as you said, it, it gets thrown around a lot as a term with games in a horror genre. But here, dread is just always there because the inevitability of what's going on. It's like you know that pretty much whatever you do, something awful is going to happen to someone somewhere. And uh, in most cases, everyone, it seems. But um, it still happens. You can't do anything about it. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting way to approach it in terms of being really humorless. Yeah, in terms of that. it's, But it, um, it's not bleak to the point of being like, Jesus, I, I need to lie down after playing that sort of thing. There's a sort of, the blackest of black comedy to failure and some of the consequences of failure and like that. It's like, it's, it's not inherently funny in what it's doing, but it's something 
amusing in seeing how your demise might come about. You know, I've been recently getting into a, uh, a pen and paper RPG called Morkborg. Mm. It's one of those things where I have this horrific habit of buying these role-playing books that have this gorgeous art, like um, <laughs> Tales from the Loop. I've got a couple, I've got the first two editions of that. And then I've got like the Aliens RPG um, nice. just because of this gorgeous art books and then the storytelling within them. And of course I got this one called Morkborg and Morkborg has ended up being my favorite of them because it has a premise that is almost identical to what we've been talking about. This sense that you're going into this black metal death world that is on the verge of an apocalypse. There's nothing that you can do to stop the impending apocalypse. And so it's more about making the most of the worst situation imaginable. And I had a buddy that was going to play with us and he was like, well, what's the point of that? I can't have a character that goes on to camp multiple campaigns like a traditional D&D or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but think about the potential for the storytelling and the wild moments that we can conjure up in a world where at the end of the day, we're all fucked at the end of it. And I think that World of Horror is something that really does channel that in a way that perhaps there's a little bit more uh, leniency in terms of the end of the world and preventing it. But I think that tonally, as like you were saying, you know, it is such a bleak world and yet it's filled with such rich storytelling that even at the end of the day, if you're playing on a difficulty or a different type of um, sort of skew of different challenges and sliders, it's like at the end of the day, even if you end up ruining your run through that experimentation, you more or less you're going to come away from each time you have a new character with an anecdote that's worth sharing or that makes you view something in a new way or a new light or provide some new semblance of the experience. And yeah, you know, in terms of capturing that Lovecraftian dread and whatnot, it is refreshing to see a game that understands it past just the normal aesthetic that we see. Granted, there's certainly a couple of tentacle monsters in this, but it it is so much a more fundamental understanding from a narrative standpoint and exploring, I think, the range of that. Because like you said, the sort of the marketability of Lovecraftian or HP Lovecraft stories and all these things, it's like, okay, it's tentacles and it's the ocean. And this shows a proper understanding of, you know, the core pillars, if you will, of what's behind those stories and, you know, the psychological aspect and whatnot in more ways than one. And I, and I think that when you're talking about that sort of range, it's important that this game in what it does in terms of like you have the larger narrative of a mystery, yes. but every single time you're investigating a space, there is a small mystery within those little <laughs> individual sort of events that you resolve. And that's why, you know, I believe early on in this game's history on early access, there was no save feature. Now there's a save feature. Yeah. And I have chosen not to play through this game with the save feature because I like that sort of just, you keep going until you're dead. Yeah. And that's the type of experience that I think really channels that in that you don't get that reprieve, which it's funny. I, I did try out the save feature once and you get this message that says like the world is ending, but it's not ending right this moment. So go stretch your legs or something like that. But I like diving into each new mystery. Like, okay, I need to basically, if I stop, then the world ends kind yeah. of thing, which gives it this heightened emphasis on keep going, keep taking risks, keep exploring. Yeah. And I think, Again, one of the appeals of that comes from Carpenter's uh, Apocalypse Trilogy, which all have that, yes. that feature. You know, that um, true. Also, of um, recent Damien Rugnier's um, When Evil Lurks as well. Just this sense that no matter what, you are just a 
mortal man in a very or woman in a situation that is far beyond your scope and you are going to do you're insignificant in the exactly and whatever you do is going to be fucking stupid you know like that and that's brilliant i love that that's when you talk about that sort of rpg element like playing a, a pen and paper game that that sounds really appealing because i like the idea that you know there's something beyond your control like not, not just a, a dungeon master type thing you know like that where they can sort of give you a swerve but just something where from the outset you know or you think you know that there's just no escape from a situation but you want to find that escape you want to see if you can and you know when we talk with that apocalypse trilogy that's something that's there is this little bit of hope is pretty much extinguished very early on and excitement and wonder about something new and unknown turns into terror and just horrific acceptance that we fucked it guys we fucked it and it's never going to be the same and, and yeah it, this really does just nail that on the head you know, it's there from from the very early on you just get it and you're like shit yeah this is going to be horrid it, it, it's somehow still a game that you can just sort of sit there with a cup of tea and play and have a good damn time but it, it, <laughs> in that context you know where you, you have to kind of be a horror fan at, who except who's into that sort of stuff to really get the most out of it and um, not feel like you're having a very unpleasant time. <laughs> the old gods are laughing at your pitiful efforts to stop their uh, apocalyptic plans, but uh, at the same time, like you're going to fight like hell to try to exactly. <laughs> try to delay the inevitable, um, which is really sort of the best vibe that you could have for a game such as this. And um, I'm just I'm so glad we finally got the chance to actually play this and talk about it in some depth because like I said when this game has been on my radar for years and I finally you know mustered up the courage to dive into it with 1.0 and I've spent a good chunk of time with it and yet I feel like I'm just sort of scratching the surface in a way that is exciting and you know there's also the aspect it's worth mentioning that you can download custom mysteries and stuff that the community is now crafting and making um, which you know speaks to the notion of not only more content from the devs but I think a community of people that I would assume, given how hardcore this game can be, that, you know, equally hardcore people will understand the best aspects of the storytelling that can occur within this world and the sorts of, uh, you know, terrifying delights that are going to come about as a result of that. Yeah, they are going to be part and parcel of the future, I think, especially if Hansnaz moves on to something else, you know, which would be completely understandable after everything else has happened at <laughs> yeah. this point. Uh, it, it's been baked into it to be this game that can be redone and restyled and changed up and you know that would be great for it i think and it's got the roots of it there to be all sorts of things and uh that's great and i hope it becomes almost like a throwback in a very different way to the days of pc games just being morphed into all these different things from their base contents and just maybe becoming something else entirely you know that's um you only have to think back to those early valve games and everything they spawned just because you know of what they were and how accessible they were for a certain market wow you know i mean there's potential here that especially in like the visual novel genre which you know i I might have mentioned before i quite like and i think this does things 
with that and its RPG elements that I don't feel I've really got in a lot of RPG style visual novels before. So yeah, this would be a great template for established ones and unestablished ones alike to try something similar, maybe with a different you know visual context and maybe different horror sort of genre subset you know, that going into it. But there's so much potential. Like I would love a text adventure style game like this that was about a slasher, yeah, you know, like that, where there's like different legends of different slashers and different ways to escape it or not escape it and yeah some something like that would just be like crazy good yeah and uh, that's what i mean this this template has such potential to go beyond this and i hope now that it's out and you know it has these people out there to do stuff with it that it does just get to grow and, and be something fresh as, as well as be the game is i mean generally i'm just the fact that we're finally getting around it being out you know, again this was supposed to come out on consoles three years ago at this point so it tells you how um how maybe optimistic um the developer was at the time but you know things happen things change especially when you're in a small team or on your own all it takes is one problem and you, you know, you've got a problem and but i think we in the end we got here and the game we got is worth it yeah, so I, I'm glad we finally got it out there, and technically now I can include it as being a 2023 game, so I, I could put it in. There you go. Put it in that game of the year category with everything else um, for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it's a different medium this time. So you know, it, sure. it was written word. This is spoken. So I can do that this time. There you go. It, it can be up there. But yeah, it's um, something so unique. I think you just have to experience it. If you like any of the things we talked about in terms of like comparison points, it's worth persevering with the things that you may not instantly get along with to sort of get into it and um, really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the amount of content that's here on release is enough that it gives you this sort of idea of the world itself. It feels, you know, it's a full meal in that regard. And yet, much like the Book of the Dead, if we dig this game up in a year or two years, the amount of new stories and sort of worlds within that are probably going to be there as a result of the community or even, you know, the developer yeah. continuing things um, makes it the type of project that has certain legs to it, even if, you know, a content plan or whatever, however you want to describe that, hasn't necessarily been laid out. The potential is there. And it's, of course, based on the aesthetic and the influences it is, of course, going to be, you know, the type of game that has that community crop up around it and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's, as you mentioned, this will absolutely be on my games of the year list. Um, and I can't wait to, you know, see what in the interim, uh, before we get to our game of the year episode at the end of the year, just how much more I can uncover through just playing and experimentation, yeah. which we've been talking about. I might have a whole new opinion on certain aspects of this game that I didn't learn about in my first, you know, 10 hours with it or so. Mm. Um, and that makes for a really exciting just premise in terms of a game that, you know, you spend so much time in, you really do have to master certain aspects of it to last more than a couple of mysteries. And all of a sudden I might have new strategies or even new anecdotes of wild runs or just a mystery that I never stumbled upon or an old deity, an old God encounter that I had. Um, but in terms of to the looking to the future, we can say that 
Uh, next week, we'll be covering Alan Wake 2, mm-hmm. finally. Our guest is still TBD, but we are definitely going to be chatting about that game in some depth, something that, uh, as I said on Twitter, I've been immensely enjoying, and uh, I think we have a lot to chat about with that. Yeah, I mean, different, different, maybe differing opinions going into this one as well. So that, that could be interesting. Uh, um... Which is always welcomed, even, <laughs> even though I'm sure some people are thinking, they seem to like everything exactly the same. No, in fact, we are two individuals with different tastes and whatnot, but I think no matter which side of the, uh, you know, the Alan Wake coins, uh, coin we fall on, uh, we will definitely have an interesting and engaging chat about the new, uh, features and sort of narrative elements found within. But, uh, until next time, it is a pleasure as always chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.